Here, a few resources this week. All right, so we're going to do like a scale of 1 to 10 on easy to read. Uh, these are some of the things I've pulled from this week. So, uh, An Other Kingdom by Peter Block, John McKnight, and uh, Walter Brueggemann. Um, it's an 80-page book. It's a really easy read, but it will mess with you. All right, it will make you call into question a lot of our cultural practices on how we do community. And that's like a, a one or a two. 80 pages, you can read it in under an hour. It's 10 bucks on Kindle. Then you've got The Abundant Community, which I would rate like a three or a four. Again, it's like 160 pages, pretty easy read. Phenomenal look at what it's like to live in authentic community and how we can establish a, a, a different way of doing that. And then I'm going to be quoting N.T. Wright uh, from a book he wrote called the New Testament and the people of God, and it is a beast. All right, if you want something, if you want to go all out and just go full scholarly academic, this is a nine or a ten. All right, this, this will, this is a grind. It's about 500 pages, but it is a phenomenal book on uh, what the first century church was like in first century Judaism and what that looked like as Christ entered the scene. It's an incredible book. So if you missed last week, we're doing a series called We Are Restore. We're talking about our mission and our culture, like what, what we're doing, how we're following Christ and the culture that has sprung up around this pursuit as we communally follow Jesus. So if you didn't, if you weren't here last week, I would encourage you to go online and listen to my, my teaching from last week on inclusion uh, because Jesus is the redeemer of, of that word. All right, that, that word gets thrown around a lot in our culture and I think he's got the best definition of it. Not that I'm biased or anything, but I think he's got it nailed. So if you should listen to that last week, we talked about our mission last week. But I want to talk about culture real quick. I used this quote last week. If you want to know what culture means and what we're trying to do with it, it's a great book called Culture Making by Andy Crouch. And he said this, culture is, first of all, the name for our relentless, restless human effort to take the world as it's given to us, and make something else. It is what human beings make of the world. It always bears the stamp of our creativity, our God-given desire to make something more than we were given. That's what culture is for us. So restore church culture. We're going to talk about each one of these each week over the following weeks. Last week we talked about inclusion. This week we're talking about authentic community, empowerment, and justice, scholarship, and restoration. And we're going to start today with, or we're going to continue today with authentic community. So if you have a Bible, uh, turn to page 759. I thought I had a Bible. Thank you. Page 759, we're going to look at Acts chapter 2. And I'm going to read verses 42 through 47. Uh, if you're not familiar with the book of Acts, it's basically uh, a history written by a guy named Luke. Uh, about the, the first century church and, and all the happenings that were occurring after Jesus died, rose again, and then ascended to heaven. So this is kind of the uh, effect upon humanity that his life and his ministry had. And if you've been in church at all, you've probably read this section before. This is kind of like every church's manifesto of like, this is how we do things. This is what we do. Uh, but we're going to we're going to pick that apart a little bit here in a second. So let's read Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. This is what Luke said the church was and, and, and how they acted in that time. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, uh, which means kind of community. All right, you may remember that word fellowship in church, the fellowship hall. Community, all right, 
to the breaking of, or to the apostles' teaching and to community, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who, who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. All right, so here's how we've tried to summarize this in Restore Church. Uh, this is kind of, I mean, this is exactly what we're going to be putting on our website when it comes to authentic community in Acts 2. With Christ, there is no veneer of love, no ignoring the truth. People following him find incredible humility and a lack of pretense. Time together around meals, drinks, and dialogue is a big part of every Restore gathering. And these powerful attributes and practices help us form deep and bonded relationships with him and each other. So let's take a look at everything I just read with a skeptic's perspective. Acts 2, this neat little description that we're going to be putting on our website about authentic community. Is authentic community really that neat and clean? Do we have it perfected? Is what Luke says is like, wow, it's that easy? Like it just happens? It's not. So if you look at, let's face it, Luke's six verse, first century summary of church life doesn't paint us the clearest contextual picture of authentic community. Because getting to that point that he's talking about, getting to the point of what we're talking about when we try to summarize that on our website and, and the way we discuss it here, it's messy and it's unpredictable. Right, getting to that is, it's hard. So first, when it comes to authentic community, becoming a family in which Jesus is the focal point is an adventure. It's messy, it takes work, sacrifice, forgiveness, Grace, all that. It, it, it is a grind to get to authentic community. So we restore, don't claim to have authentic community perfected, but we are pursuing it. And the hope we cling to is that since Jesus is the focal point, we are slowly becoming more and more like what Luke's talking about in Acts chapter 2 and what we're talking about on our website uh, and, and today. So that, that's part of it. That's the first part of it is like we're working on it. All right, we could read that. Because um, how many of us have read a mission statement or a value and thought, that's bull crap? Like, we, I, I mean, that's what, I, when I see that, I, I shiver when church, when, when I hear churches using, like, business speak. That's in, oh, that makes, it makes me nauseous, all right, to hear that kind of corporate lingo. So we don't pretend to have it perfected. We acknowledge the messiness of it, but it's sacred because Jesus is the focal point. And we are designed to be in relationship with others around that. Now, the second part of this is radical. And we've totally missed the point of this. Uh, we're looking at a first century Eastern text with 21st century Western eyes. We're missing some stuff. And we have been for a while. So we need to dive through history and figure out what's really being said here. Because I think that we have drastically underestimated what is happening in the first century church here. If the primary cause of seeking commun authentic community is a desire for friends or relationships, we're missing out. That, that can't be the point. Friends, relationships, authentic Christ-like community, acts to community is the effect of a bigger cause. So as 21st century Westerners, do we really think the first century Christians were bullied, 
despised and murdered just because they wanted to hang out with friends and eat dinner together? Is that really what cost them their lives? That's not why they were being persecuted. There's more to it. So there's something else going on that we have to dive, dive into and think about and study. So let's, I wanna re, I'm hoping in the next 15 minutes, 20 minutes or so, that we can rediscover what was really happening in the first century church as Luke writes about it. So rather than start with my opinion, I mean, I'd like to, but there's smarter people like N.T. Wright. So we're going to take it up a few notches, like a lot. All right, he's he, probably the world's foremost New Testament theologian and scholar, and he wrote this book that I, I saw a quote in it um, that I thought really described what was happening in a succinct way. So we're not going to read all 500 pages. We're going to read a paragraph of what N.T. Wright said. So here's what he wrote. What we seem to be faced with is the existence of a community which was perceived to be subverting the normal social and cultural life of the empire precisely by its quasi-familial, quasi-ethnic life as a community. Evidence of similar phenomena abounds in our own time. A member of a tight-knit Roman Catholic community in rural Quebec becomes a Baptist. His house is burned down. He has to flee the village, and the police do nothing. A Protestant pastor in Northern Ireland makes a gesture of reconciliation on Christmas Day towards the Roman Catholic priest on the other side of the square. He receives death threats at the communion table from senior members of his own church. A Muslim boy in the occupied West Bank cared for in a Christian hospital converts and is unable to return to his family because they will kill him. A Jewish woman is told that if she becomes a Christian, her right to live in Israel will be called into question. When communities react like this, it can only be because they feel that their very foundations are being shaken. Mere belief, acceptance of certain propositional statements, tolerate enough to elicit such violence. People believe all sorts of odd things and are tolerated. When, however, belief is regarded as an index of subversion, everything changes. The fact of widespread persecution of Christians in the first century church is powerful evidence of this. It was a new family, a third race. Its very existence threatened the foundational assumptions of pagan society. Christian community was a threat. That's why they were picked on and bullied and despised and murdered and tortured and persecuted. If you think about the word that describes Jesus the most in the New Testament. It is Lord. It's used over 700 times in the New Testament. When the writers of the New Testament wrote that name, said that name, it was an act of rebellion against empire and against Caesar. That we, we miss that now because we quote-unquote live in a Christian nation, which is not true. They were saying, we won't worship you, Caesar. We worship him. So this group that Luke describes is a rebellion against Rome and against Caesar, against the pagan gods. Romans didn't view early Christians as a religious group. They viewed them as atheists. Think about Let that sink in for a second. Because they didn't worship Caesar, they didn't kneel before empire, and they didn't worship the Roman pagan gods, they were viewed as atheists. That's a powerful now, now we have to think, okay, what does that mean now? So Rome was the most powerful empire of that time. And the Jews and the Christians were occupied people. Now let's think about that in a 21st century way. The United States is the most powerful empire in the world. And we 
are an occupied people. Oof. That changes things when we actually maybe toy with believing that or think about that and what it means for, for authentic community. So Acts 2 community, Christ-like authentic community, is going to destroy the nostalgia of a Christian nation. It really is. It just takes a hammer to it. As N.T. Wright said, it shakes the foundations of what this country has been built on. And if you look at American history, it's not built on much. It's built on genocide and the backs of slaves. Not a great history. And the, the, the cultural, authentic community movement shakes that foundation because we are living in a completely alternative way. Meant to Luke's writing here. It's going Caesar and empire. So it's going to, if we, if we look at what Luke's writing here, it's going to call into question every patriotic, every nationalistic statement or belief or act that we have. It is going to mess with all of that. And if that makes you mad, it's probably an idol. It's, if it pisses you off, it's because Christ has touched on a nerve, something that you might be worshiping other than him. So if we look at this from uh, every angle, here's what we have in our culture. We have crowds of people. We have politicians demanding that we define community by something other than Jesus. And you can take your pick, economic status. Are you one of the 1%? Are you middle class? Are you 99%? Who do you, who do you hang out with economically? Uh, ethnicity, are you black, white, Hispanic? Who do you hang out with? Geography, are you a natural-born American or are you an immigrant? Religion, are you Muslim? Are you Christian? Are you something else? Politicians, are you liberal, conservative, libertarian? On and on and on it goes. They tell us how to define our community by something other than Jesus. And what it does is it throws up walls and divide and it increases ignorance and hatred. It does all of that. When we worship something other than Jesus and we allow it to define who we spend time with, this is what's creating violence both verbally and physically, divide, all of this. And Acts 2 community is meant to completely subvert that. So the American Christian church needs to rediscover our rebellious roots. We need to rediscover the beauty of reading scripture through an anti-empire, anti-Caesar, Jesus is Lord, lens. So we are citizens of one kingdom, not two, one. And there is no executive order that can change that. It's, it's permanent. So think about the groups of power in our country. We've got, I don't know, we could go a long list, but like, think about liberals, conservatives, Wall Street, big banks, the New England Patriots, all of these <laughs> evil, powerful, authoritative <laughs> empires and, and that, are, that are just lording it over everybody else. All right, you think about, you got, they got power, they have money. Like a few weeks ago I talked about, if you look at the last uh, three or four presidents, the cabinets of each president have gotten progressively richer. That's been the, the, the trend. So money, law, a lot of people putting their hopes in law and policy. I think we're seeing some of the weakness of that right now, aren't we? So you have all this. That's where they hang out. This is where Jesus' community hangs out, like down here, subverting all of that. That's the stream that we swim in. We are an occupied people. And we need to live in a communally subversive way to what's happening. So now that I've got you all worked up and I've questioned everything that you believe in, you're like, I don't even know if I'm going to stand for the national anthem tonight during the Super Bowl. Now that I've done that, <laughs> probably got your blood up a little bit. 
Let's acknowledge the difficulty of actually believing what I just said, of what N.T. Wright just said, of what Luke was saying. For many of you, particularly if you're visiting Restore and Thinking, this is getting a little weird. <laughs> and the thought of following Jesus as an act of political rebellion might seem a little daunting, all right? Maybe a little bit. I don't know. I gravitate to rebellion. I enjoy questioning the status quo. Are there any other cynics in here? I think there's a few. I love it. Like, ooh, I get to rebel. I get to subvert. Like, and Jesus is telling me to? I'm in. So you might be thinking, Aaron, let's agree to disagree. All right, I'm not so sure what you just said is true. You can do that. You can be wrong. That's fine. It's not going to be a problem for me. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just joking. But it, it is, when I say this stuff, it is difficult. It's questioning what we, maybe everything that's come into play in our life of where we were born, where we were raised, and how things happen. But we're not just rebelling for the sake of rebelling. As much fun as that is, it's a, it's a good time. But we want to be a church that goes deep. The Bible isn't some holy self-help manual. Right? It's a story of many different people groups waiting upon God, discovering God, and then figuring out what it's like to follow him. And it's a mess. We do not all agree all the time. It's just not going to happen. It, it, it's, it's a beautiful mess of a community trying to put Jesus as a focal point and follow him together and see what it turns out. So we're wrestling with this practice of pursuing him together. And what we're doing, and the reason we bring up maybe tough stuff this morning, is because we want to uh, have a, a continuing better theology of who Jesus is, of who God is. Because our theology informs our methodology. Our knowledge of God informs our practices and the way that we live. So we, if we're even, no matter where you're at on your spiritual journey, like if you're just like skeptic, slightly curious about Jesus, or if, you've, if you're all in and have been for a number of years, it, the journey continues for all of us. All right? it is a, it's a progression. It's not a black and white, like light switch type thing where like, oh, you know Jesus, boom, all of a sudden you know everything you need to know. No, it's just constant journey of a growing understanding, a better theology of who Jesus is, and it has to impact our methods and the way that we live in relationship with others. So if the theology of Jesus has been skewed, our methods have been skewed. We're off. So we continue to, to study who that is. So why, that's why we talk about the first century church, because it allows us to see a clearer picture of who Jesus is, and therefore, it's going to send us into some new methods and some new, new ways of living. Uh, so this is why we talk about the tough stuff. It's not bad news. All right, so I, I'm nostalgic. I am. I, um, I watched Hoosiers yesterday, uh, this old 80s basketball movie because it's free on Prime. I love, I'm a Hoosier, all right? I, I bleed Hoosier red. I mean, that's just, like, that's who I, it's nostalgic to watch that movie. And I still, like in the last scene, like, you know, he makes the winning basket. I'm still, like, nervous. I've seen that movie 50 times probably. And I'm still nervous. Like, is he going to make it? It goes in, by the way. Spoiler alert. It's like 30 years old. But I'm nostalgic. All right? I used to, I remember, like, going to all the Fourth of July stuff and, and participating in American holidays. I'm not saying we just, like, kick dirt on that. But I am saying we, we should question it. And we cannot let our nostalgia for whatever it is that we have, we can't worship that over Christ. We have to, be, we have to like guard ourselves against that. 
Because ultimately what we're talking about here, it may be uncomfortable news, it may be weird news, but it is good news to believe this and to pursue it. This is the gospel. This is life and freedom and a new path to travel together. And like I said before, it's a mess. The early church had all kinds of problems like this. Look at like 1 Corinthians 6. Paul's like, stop having sex with prostitutes. It's not good. That's in the Bible. Like they did not have it all figured out yet. All right, it's a, it's a mess. Stop having sex with your father's, I don't even remember, but he, it, it's crazy. Read the letters of Paul and you're like, what is wrong with these people? And that was the first century church, so we're still figuring it out. The journey is mess, messy, it's a roller coaster. Uh, and I would love to tell you that if you join a missional community and restore church or a discipleship study or a huddle or a Bible study, that you're going to immediately encounter a group of people that you instantly love. Amen. But I can't. It wouldn't be authentic for me to tout that because it takes time. It takes effort. So then the question is, why try it? All right, if it's a mess, and I don't even know how it's going to turn out, why, why would I in, try to invest my time or my effort or, or mental capacity into living in authentic community with others around, with Jesus as the focal point? Um, because I think there's, um, I think there's beauty in, in participating in a communal way uh, around a focal point of Jesus because the world has a tendency to reorient itself around all other kinds of focal points. And depending on who the focal point is, maybe you're on a high or maybe you're on a low, but it's, it, it's a mess. But when we have something that's solid, like Christ, all right, the, the, the true king, the true Lord, the, the cornerstone of the foundation, the rock, when we have him at the middle, Everything else can be going crazy, but he's not moving. Amen. There's solidness in that. There's, there's strength, and we can find confidence in reorient, reorienting our entire lives around him. So instead of your job or your kid's sports activities or the perfect house or the next career jump or the next degree, reorient, reorienting yourself around that, try something different. I would challenge you to reorient yourself around Christ with others in Acts 2 community. Let the rhythm of authentic community guide your life more than anything else. I feel like in, uh, in our culture, it's pretty easy. Like, let's say it's missional community, all right? It's pretty easy to put that, like, number six on, on, the, on what you use as criteria to plan out your weekly or monthly calendar or even your yearly calendar. It, 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 some of us, it's an afterthought. It should be a lot higher than that. It should be number one in my opinion, to live in a community around Jesus. So if it's, I would recommend Restore Church. Not that I'm biased or anything, but if it's not Restore, find a Christian community that has a focal point of Jesus and throw yourself into it. Commit to it. Don't just try it. Like throw yourself into it and be ready for messiness and hurt and forgiveness and grace and truth and, and disagreement and all the stuff that happens all right, just think about your last extended family get-together, all right? It's a little bit like that, all right? It's not going to be perfect. There's, there's going to be some awkwardness, but there's beauty in pursuing that. Give it a shot. Work hard for it. And if you need some fuel, oh, this fuels me. Remember, it is an act of rebellion. Think about that. If you need some fuel, you're not just pursuing this for the sake of friendship. You're pursuing this because the world and you need to rebel against the way things are done. 
against the status quo. Stick it to the man. Whatever phrase you need to remember that it is a rebellion, let that fuel this pursuit. I'm going against the stream of hatred and divide and ignorance. I'm, going, I'm swimming with Christ against that and towards restoration. So, I don't know. I think I kind of want to rebel against what, what's happening right now. I don't like it. All right? I, I, it, it doesn't matter to me. I got a king. It doesn't matter what the powers that be tell me to do or how to reorient myself. No, there is only one law, and that is Christ. And that, that's it for me. That's what guides I try. That's what I hope that's what guides every decision I make. So I want to try to personalize this a little bit. What do you need to do in regards to rebelling uh, with authentic community? So if you're brand new or you haven't really connected uh, in community with Restore Church outside of a Sunday morning, I would encourage you and challenge you to make a 2017 commitment to getting involved in a missional community or to join one of the Bible studies or to go serve the refugees. All right, do something. If you want to bond with someone, go to the UN camp and serve Syrian refugees who are fleeing for their lives. All right, you want to bond with them, bond with your, your teammates? Man, you're not going just for the sake of making friends. You're going as an act of rebellion because the rest of the world's doing a pretty crappy job of loving people. Christians, borders don't mean anything to us. All right, there, there are no borders in the kingdom of heaven. So that's how we roll. So if you want... That, that would be, you know, a few examples of how to connect in authentic community. So some of you guys, though, you've been involved in authentic community for a while. What's your next step? It might be time for you to start a new expression of that for other people. It might be time for you to take a risk and to extend, maybe to move to a new neighborhood and to start an expression, a group of people, authentic community around uh, in, in that area. Because remember, what we believe is designed to spread. So if you want some more fantastic ideas, um, this is that first book I talked about. Uh, it's an other kingdom. It's 80 pages long. Um, it's 10 bucks on Kindle. You can read it in an hour. Uh, it's an easy read, but trust me, it will challenge pretty much everything you do as an American. I, it, it is shocking. It's like, whoa. You know, you're you're going to pause many times throughout this book and think, I had never even thought of that or heard of that. And it's beautiful and it's challenging. And what it will do, I think, is it might spark some ideas. So if you've been in authentic community for a while and you're kind of like bored, uh, it might be time for you to take a risk. And this is going to give you lots of ideas. Maybe you already have one, but if you need some, check that out. I would encourage you to do that. Uh, we're going to sing a song here in a few minutes, uh, but let's just remember... Uh, you know, we, were sit, we, we had our missional community on Friday night, and we have some immigrants in our missional community. And there is a, there's a, a lot of fear uh, and, and unwelcomeness that's felt uh, by, by what's going on. And as Christians living in an authentic community, we have a, we have a rooming and ability to be incredibly hospitable, hospitable and welcoming and loving and, and to look... Look for people. I mean, right now is like the perfect time to look for people to pull into community. People need family. People need to know they are loved unconditionally. Amen. And that no matter the laws that are being passed down, we know our law. We know who he is. We know who our Lord is. 
And we have an incredible opportunity to invite people into that. Let's pray together.